begin in verse 37. Again, we're continuing our walk through the parables, which are stories that are easy to understand to help communicate spiritual truths that may be hard to understand. Jesus taught in parables quite often uh, because he knows sometimes spiritual truths are beyond our ability to quite grasp. And so he would tell stories that are easy to, to see the conclusion thereof. And he would simply say, this is what God is like, or this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Or he would just leave it and we could figure it out really easy what he means. Luke chapter 6 Verse 37, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, Let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who's built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the obvious truths, and we ask they would make plain, be made plain to us. Father, you know what we need to do to make our hearts right with you. You know exactly what we need today. I ask that that would be presented, that your word would find its way into our hearts We ask for you to deal with us in mercy and in truth. Please do not leave us alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This is a very familiar parable even for folks who have not heard it. uh, Because uh, many who have never heard the parable have heard that great old hymn of old. 
The wise man built his house upon the rock. Now, you're welcome because you'll be thinking about that song all afternoon. <clears throat> I have interrupted your Sunday nap. We know about this parable. And this parable is not only found here, but this parable is found at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Matthew reports as soon as he finished the Sermon on the Mount and he finished this parable, the people were astonished. They were amazed because he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now, the scribes were the official teachers of the day. But it was said of Jesus, they were astonished at his, they had never heard anything like this. He taught as one having authority. Now, what is a guy that has authority when he's teaching? Well, we can just sum it up in South Arkansas language. He knows what he's talking about. They were amazed because he knows what he's talking about. You see, he had mastery over the information. He had mastery, first of all, of his topic. How would Jesus know about house building? Well, Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter from the earliest days of his upbringing because he worked with his daddy in the shop, Joseph. And he worked all the way up till he was 30. Now, we're not talking about somebody who gets out of some sort of trade school at, at, at 20 or so and has 10 years. He had had a lifetime in the carpenter shop till he was 30 years old. He knew how to build. And he knew how to build correctly. He was a master at his craft by then. And he clearly knew scripture. There's a passage of scripture from way back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Jesus knew this scripture. And Jesus is teaching this scripture in relation to his own work and ministry. But also, he knew his audience. That's why he taught in parables. He knew his audience, and he knew that his audience would be able to get the message because they had probably seen this mistake before. Now, as we read over this whole past scripture, I put it all together for a reason and not just started at the, uh, at the parable, simply because this parable was all part of a whole long uh, sermon of teaching. Now, it looks like it's a cluster of seemingly random sayings. Did you notice as we went through, it was one saying after another. And he was kind of going from one topic to another. This was not simply because uh, he, Luke was summarizing these things, but there's a Jewish word called karas. And that means stringing beads or stringing pearls. This is a method of teaching that the rabbis had. And the reason being is the rabbis knew that people's attention span was about that long. So therefore, you would go from one subject to another before you would lose them. So Jesus knew that his audience probably had a problem staying on track for a long period of time. So therefore, he kept his topics in little bite-sized portions. Now, you'll recognize this pattern of teaching if you read through the book of Proverbs. You ever read through the book of Proverbs? Little bite-sized pieces. You read through a chapter of the book of Proverbs, you may deal with a dozen different topics. Well, it's because God knows us. He knows how we understand and how we don't understand. So he, he kept his sermon where people would, 
would be able to identify with what he had to say. But then he zeroes in on really the longest of the topics, and that is, of course, the parable about the two home builders. Now, here's the overall subject and theme and statement that we can make. And he could have made that statement, but it wouldn't have been near as clear as when he had the parable. Here's the statement. We don't want to miss this. There is no substitute for obedience to the teachings of Jesus. No substitute. That's the summary of this whole parable. First of all, not lip service. He said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I say? Wow. Talking about knowing the audience, people were coming to him and saying what they knew he wanted to hear. They knew what he wanted to hear and say, well, they were talking to him and saying, Lord, Lord, and they were addressing him in all these flattering terms, and he turned it back on them and said, why are you doing this? Because you're not doing what I say. Now, who would know this? Jesus Christ would know this because he is God. So lip service, saying all the right things, won't do it. Emotion won't do it. People would get carried away with the emotion of, of the, the moment. I remember one time, one of them just blurted out, blessed is the man who will eat bread in the kingdom of God with you. I mean, they just got all excited about it. It's always good to get emotional because it's always good for our heart to be reached. But if we get into a worship service, whether it be here or whether it's at the SOAR conference with the different music and the speakers, and we get uplifted in a, in a special emotional worship service, but we walk out that door and we're not changed, we hadn't really worshiped because it didn't affect us. Not emotion, not good intentions. Now, we're all good at good intentions and telling God what he wants to hear, what we're going to do, what we intend to do. And sometimes it's like, I know, I know, Brother Eric, I'm going to. Look, delayed obedience is disobedience, period. If we delay our obedience, no matter what our intentions are, we're disobedient to the work of Christ. So here's the theme of the whole parable. There is no substitute for obedience to the teachings of Jesus. Secondly, here's the reason why. Obedience to Christ is the only safe foundation for your life. Now here's the picture. Two people are going to build. We'll take, of course, the easy build. The easy build is on the sand. Now we're looking at this, and since we don't know anything about the culture, it's like, what, 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 how ignorant can a man be to go out there to a sand dune and build his house? Uh, Matthew says sand. This guy says the earth without a foundation. Here's what happens in the land in which Jesus would teach and preach. You have these low-lying valleys that would flood every so often. And when they flooded every so often, they would leave behind a nice level, packed patch of earth. And they would flood in the places that were most pleasant to be in. It would be a little valley, trees up and around, looking real good, a lot of shade. Water was close by. There's a little stream over there. Looked good. Looked fine. Looked desirable. And people would build on those. But the problem was, it was in the floodplain. I remember 
back when we were floating the Buffalo River, you'd be floating out there and you'd get off on the, on the shore for a little rest or something. Oh, and you'd have the cottonwood trees and you'd have a big old flat spot and a nice bank on the riverside and you'd get off and look and say, man, this would be a nice place to live. Then you'd look up in the trees and way up 12 or 15 feet up, you could see debris hanging in the tree. We're talking about driftwood 15 feet up in a tree. And then we realized, no, don't want to build here. But what would happen is people would build on that plane because it looked good. I am amused. I am amused and amazed that here a couple of years ago, you remember a couple of years ago, Channel 12 and 3 and 6, the Shreveport channels. People getting all torqued out because their house flooded. Where did they build their house? In the levees. Between the levees. What are you thinking? Those levees are there because the water gets up. Yeah, but we call that a a hundred year flood. Oh yeah, like you're going to know which year in that hundred year. Now they're all torqued out. Somebody got to do something. Our house flooded. Hey, this parable applies today. But what it was, was the sandy ground was the easy ground, but was also unsafe. And Jesus said, the man who ignores what I'm saying is like a man that builds his house on the sand. The house stands for a while, but when it falls, it is terribly unsafe. Now James says it this way in James chapter 1 verse 23. He says, don't be a hearer of the word and not a doer, but be a hearer and a doer. Because the man who hears the word of God and doesn't do anything about it, it's like a man who goes and he sees his, picture, his, his face in a mirror. He sees his face in a mirror and turns around and walks away without making the necessary adjustments. You know, maybe comb your hair, whatever you need to do. He sees himself, but doesn't make the changes. And you see, we do that, it's terribly unsafe and it's terribly unwise. And this is happening in our culture today. And we are seeing houses fall because people have ignored, by and large, in a large-scale way, the teaching of Christ. God has his teachings and his principles in place for human relationships and human behavior. And I know there are innocent victims of the AIDS virus. I'm aware of that. But I also know this, the center of disease control will bear this out. 90-something percent of every case of the AIDS virus had to do with promiscuous behavior outside of God's standards of behavior. And now somebody saying, something's all wrong. We've got to do something. People are getting sick. Well, by and large, the majority are getting sick because they said no to God's standards and they built their house and their relationships on dangerous ground. We've got this nonsense going on today about gender identification. Got these men who insist on going to the women's restrooms because they think they're a woman. And then, of course, you have the lawmakers said, well, I guess that's all okay. Now, it's a dangerous situation, I would think, to have a man wandering around the woman's restroom. I, I don't like that idea. But it gets even worse. Now, here's the hook. Everybody thought that was a good idea, and better, people better just get on board with it. Now... You're talking about women in the Olympics who are suing 
because you have full-grown men deciding they're women and they want to compete with the other women in the other sports. Full-grown men deciding they're a woman and they want to compete on a woman's basketball team or a woman's track team. Now, can you see the foolishness in this? Now people are finally saying, you know, that wasn't a good idea after all, was it? We've erased the clear definition of marriage, the clear lines that were drawn. Let me tell you this. Once you tear the fence down, anything get in. Now, I know that they supposedly did it for one distinct group of people, a small percentage of our population, but here's what happens. Once you say that marriage is not limited to a man and a woman, once you say that's not the definition of marriage, it can be anything anybody wants, and there are people that are pushing for three men and one woman or one woman and three men, or they are even pushing for the fact that, well, why can't I marry my 10-year-old nephew or my 10-year-old niece? And somebody might say, well, that's all wrong. Oh, no, no, no. You erased the lines of right and wrong when you said marriage has no clear-cut definition. And it's a dangerous place to be. We're even hearing, catch this, we're even hearing a little bit of uh, stirring going on. Why can't I marry my pet? Because they're like family. And you say, oh, that's absolutely ridiculous. It won't come to that. We've erased the line. You see, once we insist that man is just simply an animal, then we were living on shaky ground. I find it very amusing. Back when I was in the university up here, way back in the day, almost 40 years ago, still had some professors even back then who would try to say there are no absolute right and wrong. Man evolved from animals. And all we are is just some highly developed animal. And you know the law of the jungle. The survival of the fittest. Whatever you're strong enough and whatever you're smart enough to get away with, that's what evolved. And so the little fox that's clever enough to steal somebody else's meal, well, that's why they're where they are because they're smart enough to do that. And then they say, and, and this is where we evolved from. But you know, I have noticed the most atheistic professor in any university that you want to go to will have a fit if you cheat on a test. Now, wait a minute. If I'm smart enough to cheat and to steal somebody's answer, you just told me that that was what, what ruled the kingdom. You just told me that I'm an animal, and that's the way animals behave, but you can't have it both ways. You see, they want to throw God out and still leave all of his principles in place. And you know what the big no-no is? And some of you have done university work with us when it comes to about writing a paper. Plagiarism. Oh, you can't do that. That's stealing somebody else's ideas. That's horrible. That's dishonest. Oh, no, no, no. You erase those lines when you said, I'm just an animal and what's right is relevant to the situation. That's exactly what they say. They say that there are no absolute truths, no absolute right and wrong. Then they'll say, and here's the rules of the classroom. No cheating on a test. You can't have it both ways. When you throw out God and say we're only animals, then you have what we've inherited in the inner cities and in our world today. Men begin to live like animals because we have maintained as a culture that that's what we are. That's an unsafe place to be.
Now can you see why obedience to Christ is the only safe foundation for our life and for our society? And all of this was put together to keep us safe. That's abandoned. And the world is a much more dangerous place because of it. Jesus said, the wise man, however, built this house on the rock. And that's who hears my word and does it. Now, what's the difference? Well, the easy build is to build the house on the sand. The hard build is to build the house on the rock. In fact, Luke says he dug deep. He took some effort. He made sure he found the rock. And he didn't build his house till he found the rock. Have you found the rock? Is your house, your life, resting on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Because here's the truth of this passage of Scripture. It's in here. You've got to look for it, but it's in here. And here is an undeniable truth that we need to maintain and get clear right from the start, and that's this. Storms are coming to us all. I know a lot of times something will come up, somebody will get sick, and they look up and say, why God's doing this to me? Well, let me tell you, storms come to all of us. Why do we get sick? Because we live in a broken world that was broken a long time ago, and every single one of us live in frail bodies. Sooner or later, we're all going to get sick. It may be a minor illness. It may be a major illness. But the storm of illness is going to come to us. Injury comes to us. In fact, Jesus talked about an industrial accident when he talked about a tower of Siloam falling. <clears throat> we live in a broken world in a dangerous place, and injury comes to all of us. July 4th of last year, I was sitting in the porch swing. Safest thing you can do on July 4th. Somebody had called me up and said, Goble, within 30 minutes, you're going to be on, in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. I'd have told him, you're nuts. You're nuts. There is no way. I'm doing the safest thing I could do on the 4th of July. I'm not running with scissors. I don't have a sparkler. <clears throat> I don't have fireworks. I'm sitting in a porch swing. There's no way I could get hurt doing this. But I did, and it was gruesome. It was horrible. The swing fell out of the ceiling onto my heel and just pretty much just ripped it open. It was like Halloween gone real bad. It was horrible. But why is that? Because we live in frail bodies that are easy to break. And it's coming to all of us. It's not because God singled us out and he's going to really zap us. It's all of us. We're like walking eggshells because we are so frail. Of course, storm's going to come to us all. You have illness, injury, insult. Sooner or later, somebody's decision is going to affect our life. Somebody else's decision. And that's unfair, isn't it? But that's the world that we live in. Now, I can't, un I can't explain all that and how that goes into all the deep mysteries of God, but I just know this. Sometimes... Other people's decisions and behavior and unfairness affect our life. So the storms are coming. Okay, that, that means the storms are coming. I can, I can argue about it or, or moan and groan about it all, but, but they're coming. What are we built on when the illness comes? 
when the injury comes, when the insult comes. Jesus said, the man who hears my words and does them is like the man who built his house on the rock. And the storms came, and I like the way Luke says it, and could not shake it. Are they unpleasant? Yes. Do they hurt? Yes. But couldn't shake it. Why? Because it was built on the rock. You see, storms come into all of us, and that's the risk of just living in a broken world. But here's the storm that I think Jesus was narrowing down to, and that's the storm of judgment. Now, when we talk about judgment, we automatically think of punishment. But let me just put it this way. The storm or the unavoidable day of accounting. Sooner or later, all of us will face God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Every single one of us, one of these days, will take our last breath. Every one of us. What then? Jesus said, people who ignore me hear what I have to say and say no to me like the man who built this house on the sand. Had a house, stood for a while, but sooner or later it collapsed. But the man who built this house on me, on my sayings, was the man who had a firm foundation. And then when that last breath came, his house was still standing. When he faced God, his house was still standing because his life was built on the safe foundation of obedience to Christ and profession of faith in him. Jesus said, why are you calling me Lord, Lord, if that's not really the case in your life? So I ask the question as we prepare for an invitation to him, is that the case in your life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? By Lord, I mean, of course, the Savior and the Master or the boss. Who's calling the shots? Whose instructions are we living by? Whose words are we hearing and obeying in our life? It's two dangers of a place not to have the foundation of the firm rock of Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing, what number? Number 113.